Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and our co-host today is my good buddy, my life partner, Jason Maine. Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. What's going on? Just uh, enjoying the great weather in Philadelphia. So uh, if you guys are listening to this, it is currently February 18th. There's a blizzard happening. For some reason, I decided to fly from sunny South Florida to uh, Philadelphia and uh, enjoy the... Uh, all that it has to offer. I believe you actually said to me on the phone that you wanted to come see the snow. God, I don't know why I said that. It was very strange. It must have been out of my mind at the time. very uncharacteristic. I was... Well, I'm seeing a lot of snow, Jason. Um, so tomorrow we're flying back out, but uh, we just recorded a, uh, a live episode for the YouTube channel of The Trading Desk. So guys, if you're listening to this, check that out. Uh, 2021, the first episode of The uh, Trading Desk in 2021. Alrighty. Um, so today... We wanted to have a deeper, in-depth conversation about um, kind of collecting uh, or the value uh, in collecting today. Um, things have changed over the last year or so. I mean, things have been changing for the last few years, but um, specifically 2020 was, uh, was a wild year for everybody. It, it turned out to be a very lucrative year for watches. Um, a lot of a lot more money has been spent on watches than, than in years past, which is kind of counterintuitive, but um, we'll kind of go into the reasons why we think that's the case and then um, we want to talk about, you know, watches that uh, are of value these days. So, uh, you know, with 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 steel uh, sport watches from Rolex selling for double and triple their the original retail um, uh, at the gray market or pre-owned. Um, same thing with uh, Patek, uh, Audemars Piguet, and a lot of uh, um, independents such as Jorn kind of skyrocketing in price. You know, we're gonna think we're gonna talk about kind of where is the actual value? Where are you gonna get? something that's probably should be worth more than what you're spending on it, right? Yeah, sure. We can talk about, um, I mean, there's plenty of avenues to put money into that are now considered, or we would consider future value propositions, um, and I think there's a that, little bit yeah. underpriced now. Um, and so then, future collectibles, yeah, future as well as... There's a few brands uh, that I would say um, are now good value propositions and are have started picking up steam like Grand Seiko where three years ago it was way undervalued and now we've seen them mature a little bit um, with some new hot releases and stuff like that but uh, you know I think the biggest if, if we want to talk about future perspective value propositions and stuff that's a little underpriced now um, and we're seeing a lot of steam I think we have to talk about Longet. Yeah so we'll talk about so on the on the hyped or the overhyped um, watches. We'll talk about Steel Rolex, Paddock, Audemars Piguet, and even now at this point, FP Journ are watches that are that you know you're going to be you're paying a lot for access to these watches as opposed to uh, you know what what's being delivered to you. So sure. you're not paying uh, those prices are not going to be reflected in the quality or the complication of the watch. It's more about access for the watch, right? So those are the that's those are kind of the overhyped watches. And then on the other side, watches that you're that you know you're paying. Uh, you're, it seems like you're, you're getting a good value in terms of the finishing of the watch, the, the history of the brand, um, you know, what actually gets delivered. So there's going to be Longa's probably at the top of that list. Moser is kind of an in-between yep. brand right now. It's, an, it's a tweener in that regard. Um, I mean, I think Richemont products across the board are now suddenly like value propositions. Um, and even, even some Omegas, though uh, Omega as a brand has some models that are going to be and that overhyped and you know you're paying for access and some of them are going to be 
you know, you're getting a high level of engineering for a few dollars. So um, you want to talk about the overhyped watches first? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So what? It, so in 2020, we saw a new Samariner. Um, we saw a um, we saw a rise in the value of um, of Jorn like crazy. Like 10x. None of us even. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, around the horizon, none of us saw it coming. No. It's, uh, well, we believed in the brand as a company. Yeah, and, We've been and collecting whole, these watches for years now. And maybe you saw two times value, not ten times. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's been a crazy explosion for sure. It's right. crazy ride. Yeah, so there's so people realizing kind of where the value is in those watches. Um, Audemars Piguet, you know, they, they took a, a, a real bold step in, in ending their dealer network for the most part and putting everything through the boutiques, controlling their distribution, and that's paid off dividends for them. It's long waiting lists for really all their watches, even their 1159s are starting to get a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more demand, um, which is something that, you know, out the gate, they were flopping hard. Uh, you know, they changed up the dials and, and that's, that's gave them more respect, but, but the Royal Oaks and now even the, the, um, offshores are, are hard to get uh, offshore divers in the last few weeks yeah. have just disappeared. I was like, offshore, all generations of offshore cases have become, you know, uh, on people's radars, even the older pieces, uh, where before they were kind of like, you know, the ugly stepchild. People were like, ah, do I want an offshore? Right. You know, there were a few guys that were practically, you know, uh, you know, looking at the brand as something that like an offshore is a value proposition underpriced because nobody wanted it and I could pick one up for cheap and everybody wanted the 41 millimeter Rogue. Right. Uh, but now offshores are, you know, is that an all those rise situation? I think so. You, you think? Yeah. Um, AP's hot now for sure. Uh, the divers specifically, like this week or maybe even like ten days ago, maybe yeah. um, we're starting to see like well, the black variants. dial divers. So I have a customer who reached out to me saying that they wanted a black dial diver. We only had the white dials in stock, but I told her we should be able to find one in the high teens, maybe maybe twenty grand. Um, after that conversation with her, <laughs> every single day I would check to see if I had uh, knew any dealers who had this yeah. watch, or, and the prices have gone up. Now I'm seeing them posted for twenty five thousand dollars. It's a nineteen thousand dollar retail. It was kind of the least desirable to retail, offshore even, which I thought it was always strange because I always like to watch the best, but people, the, the helium escape valve I think is a little weird for people. Um, but now that watch, uh, a black dial diver is a hard watch to get all of a sudden. I think it's, so it's a, I think a lot of people look at the diver as like a good way, a first AP, a good first, first and only AP to have. Sure. I think a lot of people that have many APs don't like the diver because of the way it wears on the wrist. It sits a little bit you know, it sits very flush, and you have to wear it kind of tight yeah. to get it to wear, to wear right. So if you're universal in AP and you, and you know the brand, maybe the diver is not. But I guess the first-time buyer, that's where some of the some of the access is coming in. Well, I think people are just looking for ones that are somewhat available, right? And now those are not becoming well, available. Well, prior to the black and the whites, you had, you know, the dial colors pieces that came out, the boutique exclusives and whatnot with the green and the yellow and those are the ones people wanted. The black and the whites just kind of sat. Sure. Uh, now it seems like since those dried up, the black and whites are hot. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I, you really see just across the board, APs are are. They, I mean, so it's a brand that makes forty thousand watches a year, yeah. right? So we're going to talk about Longa in the next thing, but I'll make a comparison. Longa makes about a tenth of that of those watches. APs almost universally sell over list, or at least at list. Longas almost universally uh, sell on the market well below list. Right. So again, it's it, it, the demand is really what's driving everything. It's not like the scarcity of the actual product because you can look at Rolex that makes you know 
over 100,000 watches a year, well over 100,000 watches a year. Um, and you know, it's, it's all demand driven. And that's, that's one thing you guys got to keep in, keep in mind, just because a watch is rare in terms of like low production numbers, it's that almost, that can, that can certainly be a factor, but it's almost always a secondary factor or a tertiary factor because it's really about the demand. You know, how many people are willing to buy this watch? If, if I only make 10, but only eight people want to buy it, the watch is not going to be worth anything, right? So with Rolex, the demand far exceeds the supply for all their sport watches, and it's it's moved on to the steel, um, Datejust, and really anything you can get your hands on at this point. Um, AP, the same thing. The demand far exceeds uh, the the supply of those watches, especially coming through retail, um, and Paddock as well. So Paddock steel watch steel watches. I don't even want to say sport watches because the 5212 and the 6007A are both watches that sell well over their retail price, and they just happen to be steel. Right. Um, so these are the watches that are that are being chased. You know, if if you're a guy that wants to get your hands on like something that is quote unquote hard to get, I guess through retail, then you're going to be one of these guys. You know, chasing those watches. Um, but in terms of value, I'm more of a value collector. I know Jason is as well. Um, you know, I like to buy something where I feel like the money I put into it, what I get back is it, it seems like it's a bargain, right? It's it just really a feeling, honestly. Right. Like so. If I'm like when I put my money into uh, my Panerai 233, yeah, there's not a huge trading market for Panerais. It's you know better than some brands, but not not nearly as good as others. Um, so, but you know I get a eight day in-house movement GMT um, with a uh, with a date for you know seven thousand right. dollars. And if I compare that to many other steel sport watches, I feel like I'm getting a lot of bang for my buck. So those are the watches that we're really going to be talking about right now. Um, so Richemont product, you want to, you want to talk about Richemont first? Yeah, I think Richemont in, in whole secondary market is a good value proposition for most of the models because of, of what, uh, the brand has done to their brands, you know, the holding company has done to their brands at retail. Um, you know, access to the product is somewhat difficult or production of uh, difficult in the fact that like you have to go to. Richmond specific, you know, deal with boutiques, deal with those type of, mm-hmm. it's not as easy to get, or, you know, it's an e-boutique um, exclusive. Well, a lot of their piece. watches end up in the gray market yeah. directly. So, but that's, that's a different, that's overproduction versus demand, which I guess is essentially similar, but, it's a big part of it. um, yeah, I mean, Richemont has kind of turned towards the pre-owned market in terms of value proposition, in my opinion, like there's not many Richemont brand pieces that, you, that people are running out to buy at retail, no. right? Because the value proposition is in the pre-owned space. Right, because the watches don't hold value. No, they don't um, hold value essentially overproduction versus mm-hmm. right, supply versus demand. Well, they don't they're, They do not do a good job driving demand, right? So, like, these days, the, the brands that do their best are the best marketing. Because it's, because, like, okay, we can all agree that Rolex makes a great product, but it's not going to be, it's not a better watch than, let's, I mean, name another uh, like even a, a, a Panerai, it, there it's not going to be like you're not going to have a higher level of engineering. You're not going to have a nicer movement. You're not going to have a more complicated watch. But a, a Rolex will always work, and it is what it is, and everybody knows that it's a Rolex. So there's going to drive demand. Panerai, like who? What customers are they going after? Like I'm a Panerai customer, right? right? But I don't feel, I don't feel like any of their current models or their marketing is towards somebody like me. Yeah, I get that. They're a little. They're going up they're market. A little, they're trying to a go up lost, market. A little wayward. Um, uh, with a lot of the Richemont brands, that's what you're seeing. You know, and Tim, I did a podcast with Tim, and he put it this way: He goes, "Richemont is an investment bank 
that owns watch brands. That's that's how they that's how they run their business, and that's kind of what their structure is. So yeah, they're not they're not looking at the the core collectors. They're thinking, all right, you know, is there a market for this? Is there a market for that? I think as opposed to like, what do our collectors want to buy? What is driving the market out there, and what who who can we compete with? So. Um, Richmond across the board, and another one that that's kind of interesting now. And again, I talked about this with Tim. Is that the third generation Vacheron overseas? When that was released, we thought that missed the mark greatly. It was slightly over engineered, way overpriced. The Chrono was at twenty nine, yeah. Um, and the uh, uh, the date, the time and date was twenty. So it was basically the same price as, as a Nautilus, but the Nautilus had a ton of a uh, ton of. Um, demand and, uh, and and you couldn't really get discounts from those originally as well. So people were used to at least getting those at a discount, couldn't get them, and we thought it was a flop. So fast forward, what, three, four years now, yeah. the Vacheron overseas, uh, whether it be the, the time and date, the chrono, or the dual time is a tremendous value in the market today, right? You're getting a super high level of finishing, like like uh, you know the, the Holy Trinity level of finishing, right? right? You're getting... Uh, an intense level of uh, of engineering with the bracelet and their um, and like the case system, yeah, the right. interchangeable straps, the interchangeable deploying buckle, huh? um, big value proposition. I mean, you can switch the watch up; it's cool looking. I think uh, for a lot of VC collectors, the Gen Two they liked when the Gen Three came out. Just the configuration of the date was a little weird. Mm-hmm. They liked the Gen Two with the big date, um, you know, and and. I guess always resistant a little bit to trick to change, uh-huh. so there is some pushback. But overall, I mean, we well, can it took all four agree years. It's a far superior watch in terms of the pretty much gen. every fin- every. I mean, but the market in 2017, we didn't look at it that way, right? Right. We looked at it like this is an overpriced piece. It's not going to sell. It's not going to compete with the with the. Um, uh, it was it was at a higher price point than the Royal Oak, which was gaining steam like right. big time then. It was slightly below the um, the fifty seven eleven, but the fifty seven eleven at that time was already trading at double its retail. So you know it's it was a uh, it, it was a very slow starter. But now in today's market, where fifty seven eleven is a hundred grand, right? You're got to pay thirty five thousand dollars to get a steel uh, um, Royal Oak that doesn't fit as nice. It doesn't have as much technology, and the presentation's not as nice as a as a VC overseas. So what happens now? That watch trades at retail, and that's where we're seeing yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah. It's I think 20, you also retail. had there was a barrier to entry because the Gen twos were so under retail, mm-hmm. and then you had this watch that was demanding retail, or or when it first came out wasn't getting discounted. So people, you know, for the difference in the price, I like the Gen two look a little bit better. I'll just go with the Gen two. Yeah. But now, you know, again, the market's different. Everybody looks at it a little bit differently. Um, I like the watch a lot. I I think most people, when you say the blue dial chronos. Obviously, the, the I think the blue dial like. time and date only. I personally like the brown dial time and date yeah. the, the best of all of them, even with the chronograph. Mm-hmm. But the blue chrono is probably the nicest of the. Chronos. Well, the, the blue across the board, I love. It's like a lacquer dial. Different blue. It's gorgeous. In the time only though. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. So I, I got to see them side the by side. Time only has more of like a CV shiny blue, uh-huh. and the chronos uh, like a darker, a little bit duller. Um, more but matte. The, but the brown is honestly, if you've not seen one in person, it's. It doesn't like look brown. like much in pictures, but the brown's really interesting. In, in uh, I do like the brown. Uh, I think uh, Tim Tim mentioned that that's you know as a discontinued piece, that's probably the one to pick up if you're looking if you're a collector of pieces that like sure you know hard to get pieces. That's probably the one to go for. But 
Any of them are nice. I like the black. Just traditionally, I tend to like black dials. Yeah. I watch across the board. I'm not a big blue dial guy, but I probably would. I probably would own a blue dial uh, overseas third gen. But again, so now you have a watch that is a tremendous value in the market today. Um, so more Richemont product, and really kind of I guess the, at the top of the list in terms of value for dollars um, compared to you know other brands in regards to what you get for what you spend um, on the on the open market. So you know not at a retail not through an authorized dealer or uh, or anything or a boutique we're talking about buying it you know either pre-owned or gray market you know at market price is uh, a long sun right so longa makes about 4,000 watches a year so again you know a tenth of the amount of watches as as AP they make ex- almost exclusively uh, dress watches um, they did release an Odysseus which uh, was trading at or above retail but it's slowly starting to kind of come down to a retailer, probably end up being slightly below because it's, it, it, for what it is, it's amazing. Like a, a perfectly engineered steel watch from, um, from Longa, but it's not a sport watch. Uh, I don't think anybody like at first we're like, Oh, a steel sport watch from Longa, but it turns out it's not a sport watch. It's just a steel watch. It's a sporty looking watch. Yeah. Sporty looking watch. It's great on the wrist. Everybody I know who owns it wants to keep it. And so it trades at about retail, but Besides that, you know, you're, you're getting, so like my favorite reference uh, is the uh, 403035, right? So that's a watch that um, that has gone up slightly in value the last few, I mean, the, I remember seeing those in like the high 30s, then they moved up to like to the high 40s, and now they're in like the high 50s, but still that's a watch that had, I think, like an $85,000 retail originally. Um, and uh, so you're, you're getting the highest level of finishing. So if you like independent watches, so you want watches that are like highly engineered, very artistic, amazing uh, movements, you know, finished to the nth degree, uh, and you don't, you can't afford a Grubel, you can't afford a Jorn now at this point. Maybe uh, Laurent Ferrier doesn't speak to you, uh, and Moser's cool, but you know, it's not, it, it, it's a little too plain for you or something. Those, right? Longa's the way to go, right? Uh, you get a pre-owned Longa, and you're getting the most absurd level of uh, of finishing. You're getting great engineering. Um, I think the watches, personally, I like the aesthetic. Um, when I talk about Longa with, with collectors, I say it's, you know, it's, they have just like a very surface level uh, layer of anger involved in their, in their aesthetic, which, which, you know, it's kind of like a German thing. You know, it's like, a, it's like a Mercedes, right? Like a, every watch reminds me a little bit of a G-Wagon, yeah. right? Um, you know, like hard angles, but finished to the, to the, like, the last degree, and I mean, if you flip a, a, any longer over and check out the movements, I mean, they're unbelievable. Yeah. You, you, they're they're literally unbelievable. Um, if, if yeah, if you ever get a chance to flip over a datagraph mm. specifically, four hundred three hundred three five. Yeah, and you, um, I personally, I love the up down variant of the datagraph, but I know a lot of people prefer the smaller case size. Mm-hmm. But you flip that watch over with a loop and. I mean, your ten minutes of your life is lost. You're, you're <laughs> staring into every every beveled facet. Or every, yeah, it's. I mean, bang for the buck. It's uh, it's really hard to beat what you get off of retail. And I think they're probably one of the most, um, which is kind of sad, honestly, but one of the most undervalued, highest horology, uh, you know, points of touch that you can get right now. There, yeah. um, there's a lot of cool pieces that they make that are also quirky, like. People like Moser because they're they're disruptive, but also Longy makes. I mean, who makes his light work? 
You know, like that watch is nuts. Yeah. And it, and it looks as much. It looks like a Jorn, I guess. I mean, right. But like, if you look at the Zeitwerk, it looks like a toaster oven from the, from the 40s. Like it's it's <laughs> nuts. It, it looks like uh, you know it should be on the Jetsons. So it's very futuristic in that regard. Um, and then the brand also does. You know, a lot of people accuse Longe of being very cold and sterile. But it, to your German. point, right. But to your point, I don't think it's just cold and sterile for the lack of not having anything. It's just that's the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. They do make like there's data ones like rose gold with pretty gray dials mm-hmm. and there's there are warmer pieces yeah. that have kind of a, a more homey feeling to them. Well the honey so, gold. Yeah, the honey gold's outstanding. Their I mean, moon phases are, are ridiculous. The, even the eighteen fifteen, honestly, the blue uh, Arabic markers against white dials mm-hmm. is is pretty. It's gorgeous. You know? So I think there's... They do have some personality, yeah. One of the cool things is they make a lot of different styles, too. So Mm -hmm. you're not locked into one specific type of watch. Right. Which, you know, could be part of the reason why they don't trade as well at retail. But that's It seems like there's more SKUs than there is. Yeah, there's just, there's like, you know, but if you're a long-a guy, then maybe that's an excuse to have two or three, you know? Yeah. And, well, so one thing that we're seeing now is through, from Paddock, obviously Steel Sport Watches is the thing, you know, the Nautilus, the Aquanauts. Uh, across the board of just bonkers in terms of price points and, and not just steel actually you know 5981 r and, and rose right. 5180s are selling for you know double retail um but we, we did see you know uh, paddock discontinued what all but the is it the 5196 and the 5227 are the only two references left in the calatrava catalog yeah, I believe so. that, it's something along those lines there's two references left so we did see a bump in Calatrava, so those watches are now like you know twenty or twenty-one thousand dollars, even more sometimes twenty-five thousand dollars for a basic Calatrava. So if you want a basic uh, Swiss dress watch, you know it's just a time only or a time and date, um, but that has like a high-level finishing from a prestigious brand. If you're buying a pre-owned Saxonia in like the low to mid-teens, you're getting at a watch that has a higher level of finishing uh, than a Calatrava time and date. Right, maybe not much higher, but slightly higher, and you're going to get a very handsome watch and a tr- unbelievable value. Right, like you're buying that for uh, you know a third of what you'd spend on well, a on a Daytona. Could, right. Well, the thing is, you could have that dress watch and a sport watch mm-hmm. for the same price. Yeah. So you could literally have like an eighteen fifteen time only and a Submariner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the price of the price of a Calatrava. Right. Exactly. So we're seeing a lot of value in here, and as as watches move through different price points, then things reorder, and then all of a sudden, something that seems like it was overpriced in the past now becomes a good value because it's it's all comparative, um, right? So as we see, steel Daytona's white dial steel Daytona's move into the 30s, yeah. right? So then, uh, you know, watches that used to trade in the 30s that seem to be overpriced uh, or are retailed at 30s. So like for example, um, the uh, the Vacheron Overseas Chrono, it's a twenty nine thousand dollar retail, doesn't seem so bad at retail now. Um, when you see uh, when you have to spend thirty thousand dollars on a uh, white dial steel Daytona to get a seventeen thousand dollar retail, no, to get twelve four thousand retail. No, no, it's thirteen one now. Thirteen one, sorry, yeah. yeah. So yeah, to get you, you got to spend thirty grand to get a thirteen thousand dollar. Listen, Daytona's a nice watch. I'm certainly not spending thirty thousand dollars on it. If I was somebody who badly wanted it, I guess I would. Um, but again, so, I'm so looking. You can justify right, like if you're if you bill hundred dollars an hour, two hundred dollars an hour, and your time's worth it. And you can't wait around, then then you're probably not the guy that's messing around with trying to get one on a list, unless you're just you like you know you're sadistic and you like hurting <laughs> yourself and, and the pain of waiting. But yeah, um, it it's a very cool watch. It's not my cup of tea. 
honestly, even at retail, I don't know that I'd, I'd wear one. If awesome. we didn't know, uh, my point is, if we didn't know what the secondary market aside was, it, to me, am I putting $13,000 in that watch? Probably not. But obviously, I would buy one at retail mm-hmm. knowing what the secondary is. Uh-huh. Uh, I just personally, you know, th- there's other value propositions out there that I'd chase down first. Agreed. But, um, well, so let's talk about some more of those. So, sure. so we talked about Longa, we talked about VC. Um, Zenith seems like it's becoming a, a value. Like they, <laughs> they resurrected the Defy. Yeah. It was the, literally the worst watches, through retail or otherwise. They were just they were ugly. They were the Defy Extremes. Yeah, they the were chunky. They you mistake them for for uh, for Invicta watches. They, well, so a lot of the Invicta aesthetic came from stuff like that. But the old Extremes, they almost put Zenith out of business. Yeah, like the the old DLC coated. Ugh. Um, full titanium bracelets with like the rubber integrated center links and stuff <laughs> like that. They sat and they sat and they sat and they they really really did hurt the brand. Um, not just from a you know from a collector's vulnerability standpoint, but just money wise. Like yeah. think of how much research and development and money, and then you just take a big swing and a miss. Um, they and went hard. Yeah, I mean even so now new- now they're still kind of dogs. I mean you can go. Yeah, nobody wants those watches. They just ran forty five hundred bucks. That was, like a, that was a twenty-five thousand um, dollar retail. Yeah, they're they're not the you know. I, I talked to a guy uh, about six months ago that he like he likes the fact that they're that they're dogs yeah. and like he has five of them. Uh-huh. But that's his thing. Sure. If you like it, but most people don't. Yeah, most. But so, okay, so so we can stop trashing Zenith because what they did was they turned that they made literally their worst line to their best line. Right. I think it's it's by far the best. The new Defies are unbelievable. Defy 21s are gorgeous watches, great movements, uh, sporty looking. People who don't know watches will look at that watch and say, and like, wow, that's a conversation right. piece. It makes you feel good about wearing it. You know that you're buying it from a brand that, you know, has always kind of punched above its weight. And, uh, you know, those are tremendous values now. Yeah, I, mean, I so the Defy in and of itself, I mean, I guess living up to its name, it defied the odds, right? Mm-hmm. It, um Specifically, like the inventor with that that bezel, awesome piece. Oh, yeah. Like the defies are, you have the integration of the bracelet. They have those hard angle edges that are so popular right now with brands like AP. Yep. Bulgari doing it with the Finissimo. Um, you know, very kind of again, not to use your word, but the very angry looking. You know, very serious watch uh-huh. that is sporty, but also it looks aggressive, which yeah. is very popular right now. I think the Defy is an awesome watch. There's a couple different flavors that are, you know, certainly very popular. Um, let alone the, you know, we were talking about the Daytona, but their new release of the new Chronograph. Um, have you seen this new Zenith Chronograph, the ceramic bezel? Uh, oh, piece that they released? yeah, the Chronomaster. Yeah. Uh, so you have your your standard, you know, back to your tricolor Zeltona, I think they call it. <laughs> back to your tricolor dial, date, ceramic bezel, steel sport watch. In, in I would easily say in many regards a better movement than what's in the Daytona, yeah. um, and you know it's a watch that can be had. You can go get one. Um, they're not trading for over retail. So, mm-hmm. it, well, so Zenith very, Zenith offers if you like Chronograph specifically, but even if you don't like, you know, for under for between five and ten thousand dollars, you get a tremendous amount of value. And, and really, the only pushback that I've heard from the community on on the new Chronograph is the placement of the date. Which mm-hmm. it's an El Primero, so you know, get over it. It's going to be there. Uh, and two, um, just the the level of I guess presentation mm-hmm. in it. It doesn't 
the watch in, is, in itself is awesome. The box set, the presentation, a little bit to be desired. Like but, but I would say, I mean, it's a brand that, that focuses on that value proposition. If they can save you money on the retail price mm-hmm. and put it in the watch, they're going to do that. Yeah. So, all right. So Zenith, we think almost across the board currently is a great value. You can buy them at a discount new. You can buy them uh, pre-owned at, a, at an even heavier discount. Um, and if you buy them at market price, they trade well enough where if you sell them to a dealer, somebody like us or like uh, in another company, you're not going to get your head taken off because it's not a watch that like we have to take a guess on what it's worth and what are we going to sell it for. We can routinely sell it for the same, so we're going to give you good value. Um, so uh, another brand you would think of, uh, I mean, Swatch Group, is there, I mean, are we seeing, well, we're seeing an uptick in value in Omegas. I think that might be an all-boats rise, uh, a scenario like Seamasters and, and Speedmasters. So I, so the staples there, you know, Seamaster and Speedmaster, like you said, those are staples of the brand. They're always going to be kind of very stable in terms of what they trade at. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they make so many watches that they're relatively easy to get. The I think there's other other pieces from Omega that fall by the wayside that are, are value propositions, like the new Aquaterras. Are, are very slept on watches. They're very capable, just as much as, as a Seamaster. The movements are excellent. You can get it in a couple different flavors and colors, bracelet, rubber, um, and it's it's edgy and, and cool. It's not like the old Aquaterra, mm-hmm. um, but it's not a watch that trades very well, and you can get a pretty good deal on one. Um, a lot of the, so like the 44.25 Speedmasters are not great traders, but are cool watches. Um, the larger automatic chronographs as opposed to the, you know, the manual chronos. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're picking up. Yeah, they're picking up, but they're not, my point is like, they're not, they're Apollo making to the, 11, you know, they're not Apollo 8s, right? Like where like before they were dogs and now they're hot. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, that well, watch was closed out. The I'm talking about the, the black and the yellow, right? The Apollo 8. Okay. Uh, so that watch was closed out. You can get it for eight grand. Now they're 12 because mm-hmm. they're, People found, up. yeah. People what found. I'm, sorry, those I'm talking like the 4425 white dials, stuff like that. Um, they they are picking up a little bit, but they're still well under retail. Well, that, like so, what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, there's more of an awareness of those watches. So, like, even in in mainstream culture too. So, like, uh, if you're a fan of like Joe Rogan's, you saw he gave he had a moon phase yeah. that he loved. He said, uh, "We know he's a big collector. May or not, may not be buying watches from us, um, but he." Uh, he loves that moon phase, which I've always really loved to watch. It felt a little bit big on my wrist, but it, I could take a swing at it, right? And is that not, the two-tone with the Sedna? No, 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 just the, the steel, okay. uh, the um, Speedmaster Moon. Okay. Um, you know, 44 millimeter, automatic. The watch is great, um, and there's a tremendous value there too, but we've seen since since Joe did that and gave the watch live on air to, to his buddy on the biggest podcast on the planet, we've seen an uptick in value in those watches too because people are starting to look at those like, oh, this is a good alternative. Again, people are looking for alternative ways to buy steel sport watches without having to spend, you know, uh, uh, buy, you know, spend like a, a Honda Accord money, right? You're looking to spend like, uh, like scooter money as opposed to like Honda Accord money, right? So you want to spend eight grand as opposed to thirty thousand dollars on a steel sport watch. So that's again, those are watches that that are we're seeing a tremendous value, and because there's so many more buyers in this market than there was even five years ago. Watches that used to take maybe like so if we bought a watch and they're like the turn time would be like ninety days or one hundred and twenty days, right? So it would take us like three or six months to sell this watch. Now it only takes us a month 
So maybe the price is the same, but they move faster. So we're comfortable paying more. We'll cut our margin knowing that we can sell it faster. Right. So a lot of dealers are doing this. So it's, it's making collecting and trading easier for a lot of our customers, um, which that's something that people aren't really talking about. They're talking about prices going up, but it's more about the turns and how, how many more buyers exist. Because if there's more demand on a watch, the, maybe, the, maybe the demand was so weak in the past that the price really doesn't change much, but the turn times are faster, so guys are willing to pay to spend more. Also, though, in the same terms, what we're seeing, or at least what I'm seeing, is a guy that five years ago would have bought one or two watches a year and that stays in the collection is buying eight and constantly Trading. moving them in and out. It's yeah. an experience, but that's also that's there's a lot of watches to experience in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. right? So if you're if you're going down this rabbit hole, like I and do. you want to put everything you can on your wrist, trading now has become there's such a ferocity to it that a guy can wear a watch for six months, move it into something else, and mm -hmm. experience that new watch for six months as opposed to saving for for six months to a year, buy one watch, put it in the collection. And never do it all over again. Or, or never wanting to sell it because you know you're going to take such a massive right. hit. But you can be like a guy like, so you're kind of like a collector and keeper. Whereas on my end, I'm a guy who like, I like owning a watch. Like I've owned that watch. Right. I, it ran its course. I really loved it. But then I find myself not wearing it as much. And, you know, then I moved it out. And then there's watches that end up staying in the collection because I can't imagine ever selling it because every time I put on the wrist, I love it. Yeah. So I don't, it's not that I didn't love the watch. The other watches, when I bought them, they were just, they were more short time, short term. Purchases. I have other hobbies where I'm, I do that like you do with your watches mm -hmm. and other hobbies. Mm -hmm. For me, watches are, to be completely candid, like the money that I put in a watch is generally because I've narrowed down in my head so many, like over analyzed every that I know that that's a keeper. Mm -hmm. I I usually don't take a lot of speculative shots on watches. <laughs> um, although I mean I knew I wanted that Finissimo really really bad, but when it came time to jump, like it was. That was a scary one for me. Yeah. Um, and, well, and it paid, paid off. off. Yeah, it's worth watch. more now than what you paid, um, and it's a great watch. But, you know, that being said, uh, there's there's tons of different type of collectors, and that's a different conversation. But uh, value proposition, I think, for you and for me is, is always kind of a key component when we're buying pieces. Yeah, there has to be some sort of value. Either I'm paying less than it's worth, even slightly, or I feel like for what I'm spending, the watch that I'm getting is is a tremendous piece. Right. So Even I, if it's not what you set out for, mm -hmm. like let's say you didn't set out to buy the Panerai, mm -hmm. but for you, like you said with the 233, like where am I going to find that complication for that price point? So maybe I didn't set off to buy this watch, but looking at ceramic watches, I found this, or looking at eight-day power reserves, I found that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's also collectors that only collect complications. They don't collect brands. Yeah. So, you know, there's tons of different avenues to go down. Value proposition, I think, is one of the cornerstones of, of collecting. Um, yeah, especially once you get into it. But yeah. all right, well, I think we uh, we really touched on a bunch of different brands, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think we're we're good here. We did uh, we touched on what Longa, Zenith, Omega. Uh, did we talk about Moser? Because Moser's a tweener brand. Yeah. Like, they're on the uptick, so... We mentioned them, but we... I'd say, you can wait around and get a Zenith whenever you want. I don't know, there's no rush to get a Zenith. If you like Moser, it might be the good time to get into it yeah. sooner or later, because they're going to pop. I would say within the next year to 18 months or so before, yeah. before you miss We're already seeing some models trade over retail. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but there is a lot of... Even though, like, the hype world kind of dominates the media, the watch media... Um, and a lot of like the Instagram posts and you know, Twitter and all this crap. So, you know, it might seem like the only watches that exist 
are steel sport watches from Rolex and Paddock and AP. But really, if you kind of look outside those brands, look at different conglomerates. Um, I mean, we didn't even talk about like Parmigiani, yeah. uh, which is, I mean, in terms of value for dollars, you might not like the aesthetic, but if you do, those watches trade for so little versus their retail and so little versus what other watches do with those types of complications and level of finishing. Trim, unbelievable value, Parmigiani. Except for the exact one model that I like, which is the blue meteorite tundra yeah. with with the micro rotor. That's the only one that everybody wants. The only likes. one that everybody else wants. Uh -huh. I like that watch when I first started with, with Watch and Want. It was yeah. like one of the uh, fourth watches I sold when we started with Watch and Want. Sure. I uh, perpetually, I mean, I'm pretty sure you do this too, but watches that come across my desk for the 15 years I've been doing this, I fall in love with them really quickly and then I fall wow. out of love yep. with them. That one is one that's stuck in my head and, and never went away. Hmm. Uh, there's only probably a handful of watches that do that. Um, nice. But, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so there's there's a ton of value out there from amazing brands. And, you know, if you have any questions, you can reach out to Jason or I. Uh, you know, our Instagrams, I'm at Mr. Thanos. Jason is at Evo underscore watches. So you can check us out. We're always on there. We're on Clubhouse now, too. Yep. We're going to try to have some discussions on Clubhouse. We're easy to find. Um, happy to chat about any of these topics or others. And, uh, you know, like always, tune in. And uh, if you have any questions, any topics you guys want us to cover in these uh, in the podcast version of the trading desk uh shoot myself or jason an email we're happy to review it and if we don't think it's stupid we will uh <laughs> we'll cover the topic so all right guys well this has been uh the podcast version of the trading desk my name is joshua thanos and i'm jason may talk to you later bye-bye